Hey, I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. And I'm Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 105. You are joined by actor and musician Emil Hirsch. He talks about his work in Andre Overdahl's phenomenal The Autopsy of Jane Doe, working with William Friedkin on Killer Joe, and his role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, featuring some amazing Quentin Tarantino impersonations. Emil brought along his collaborator, Mathieu Caratier, to talk about their new musical project, Hirsch, which has a real genre and sci-fi soundtrack feel to it that's absolutely awesome. Episode 105 starts now. Hey, this is Emil Hirsch, and whenever I'm stuck with my dad in the morgue late at night doing autopsies, we listen to the Boo Crew. All right, joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is a highly acclaimed actor, musician, singer, artist, and masterful storyteller. His brave artistic choices and zealous commitment to intent make his performances hypnotic and his films unforgettable. Starting out appearing in countless TV projects such as Third Rock from the Sun, NYPD Blue, and ER, to break out feature film performances in The Dangerous Lies of Alter Boys, Lords of Dogtown, and our personal favorite, playing a teenager whose new next-door neighbor is a porn star in The Girl Next Door. <laughs> he has since been nominated for over 27 awards, winning many for his work among them 2007's jaw-dropping Into the Wild, a crowning moment of film history. Other key cinematic achievements when it comes to horror and genre include Andre Overdahl's Impeccable, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, the Emmy Award-winning animated series Troll Hunters, the cult favorite and arguably best live-action interpretation of manga of all time, Speed Racer, 2011's Killer Joe, and last year's multi-Oscar nominated Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He has acted alongside the greatest actors of our generation, Matthew McConaughey, Leonardo DiCaprio, Sean Penn, Susan Sarandon, John Goodman. The art of his performance has been the palette used by the greatest filmmakers of all time. Guillermo del Toro, Oliver Stone, Gus Van Zandt, the Wachowskis, William Friedkin, Tarantino, among others, solidifying his place in the ranks of storytelling greatness and a true original who gives us all and then some. He's also an accomplished lyricist and singer. With the brilliant new album Mnemonic from his project Hirsch, plus a just dropped an additional single, American Dreamin' Out Now, we are honored to welcome Emil Hirsch. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm, man, I'm... <laughs> I'm really embarrassed. <laughs> as, as like, no, normally, I'm the I'm the dude that comes up with that hilarious Ricky Gervais joke where it's like, our next presenter is a two-time Academy Award-winning da, 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 Tom Hanks. The other is he f- flips a paper over and up. Tim Hallen. <laughs> Matthew, Matthew, my Frenchman uh, on the right is probably you're you're, you're Tim Allen today. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we welcome, yes, we welcome Mathieu, the other half of Hirsch, the musical collaborator. We have a lot to talk about 
I wanted to start just with a little bit of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, absolutely. And what the process, you, you play Jay Sebring, who mm-hmm. is Sharon Tate's ex-boyfriend. <laughs> a very pivotal role with some very key scenes yeah. in the film as well. How did you get into the fold of that project? So believe it or not, like I was on Facebook and I got a Facebook message from this account that's like, this is Quentin Tarantino. And I was like, (laughs) and I'd like known Quentin from the past. Like I met him like literally like 18 years ago at the first film premiere I'd ever been to for the Green Mile. I randomly met him through a friend and he was so nice and I embarrassed myself so much. I was like, I love Reservoir Dogs. And he's like, oh, okay, who's your favorite dog? And I, I, I literally like just, I had like just like a Rick Perry oops moment where I was like, uh, Dalmatian? (laughs) <laughs> and he was like yes, and yes. he was so nice he was like no no I mean like you know your favorite dog like Mr. Pink and then I was like oh, oh Mr. Blonde he goes oh Mr. Blonde okay Mr. Blonde blah, blah. and uh, we kind of always got along after that like we would see each other and we would end up just kind of it's fun to riff about movie ideas with people like right. if you're like oh the sci-fi movie idea but he's one of the most fun to be like what if we made a movie about this because he will like keep taking it to like this crazy level so we had a really kind of fun friendship for a while uh and we just really liked each other and um but i hadn't heard from him in years and i certainly wasn't facebook friends with him right um <laughs> so he sends me this thing and i go is this really Quint, is this you and he goes yes i'm assuming it's also you and i looked and we had like one mutual friend i like i was like okay this is probably like that guy could have got catfished i don't You're know right. who like, knows maybe, yeah. maybe not <laughs> um and so and then and then the next message was and this was like almost two years ago this is like way before any casting or any this is like july of 2017 and i was like uh what's up and he's like oh i'm working on something i maybe interested in you for and immediately i was like please don't let this be a catfish right <laughs> this is the most like i like any any kind of other catfish would be better than this like you know what i mean like this is like the <laughs> right. like quentin tarantino like right. actors get so, like you hear the name it's like a catnip response yeah. from actors <laughs> um but it turned out that, and I didn't hear from him for like six, seven, eight months. I mean, it was like, so I had no idea. And then I heard like, oh, my agent was like, oh, he's doing this like Charles Manson movie. So I was like, I'm a short guy. You know what I mean? I'm like, is he thinking about me for like Charles Manson or something like that? I was like, could that possibly be? But I was totally wrong. It was Sebring who was also pretty short. You know what I mean? We're, <laughs> sure. We were like the same height. Um, wow. but, but Quentin had seen... He'd seen the autopsy of him and Eli Roth had watched the autopsy of Jane Doe together. Oh my God. And Quentin just loved it. And he was like, he saw it and he was like, that's, that's my Jay. And it was like, there was something in that performance in autopsy where it was, he, I think it just resonated with him that that was a Sebring quality. And it was funny because like, even in the read through and stuff, I had watched some real video of the real Jay Sebring. And he kind of comes across like a little bit stiff in the videos at times and like kind of serious. So I didn't really know how to play him. So I sort of played him like that in the first read through. And I was like terrible. Like I could like it's like as an actor, sometimes, you know, when you're doing a really good job. And then sometimes you're so aware when you're not doing a good job. I had it and it was like two days later and I got a call. 
and it was Quentin and Quentin like never calls. Like he doesn't, he's not like a technological guy. So I like pull my car over and he's like, buddy, um, the read through the, the, the J, you know, it's like, um, you know, he's not, it's not a biopic. Okay. It's not a biopic. You gotta, you know, he, I'm giving you permission to be a little bit more, uh, flamboyant okay he's not gay but he's flamboyant <laughs> and his impression it, is amazing yes, oh my gosh. and it like Dying. it just clarified the role for me so much and it was great getting that kind of like he just he set me on the right path i was actually curious did you know at that point what the ending of the movie was going to be like they no. made me sign my life away, and uh, Quentin, yeah, he let me read the end. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He was he was cool like nice. that. Nice. And then I was like, I kind of had a moment where I was like, yeah, Quentin likes me, because like Brad was like, man, I haven't even read the ending yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, please let Brad just be being nice to these other actors at the read-through. Right. <laughs> uh. I, and, and I mean, that... You have that very poignant moment in the film, yeah, where you could feel. I mean, I remember seeing that at the theater. Everybody's heart drops mm-hmm. at that scene when you're at the gate, yeah. yeah, and it's revealed what Quentin's version of the story, and it's impactful as shit. Yeah, it's yeah. it's weird. I mean, it's interesting because it's a very comedic scene, dialogue wise. Yeah, sure, but it's there's like an emotion behind it it's almost like the comedy ends up kind of releasing a, a, a strange haunted emotion that like of what could have been. But the fact that it's like this very light kind of funny, almost how do you pronounce the word macabre? Is that the, that's it. Yeah. That, macabre. Yeah. I've like, I'm so <laughs> bad without like macabre. Yeah. Macabre. Macabre. Yeah. But you know, it was a, it was a very special experience and I'm forever grateful to Quentin for, thinking of me for jc bring and putting me in the film and i mean he's just he's the best he really is he really he just he loves movies so much and he believes in what he does and he's relentless in his pursuit of the film and i just i have mad respect I always hear about these legendary screenings. If you go to Tarantino's house, he he'll find out what like your favorite movies are and like cut trailers and shit and put them in between. And oh yeah, do a whole oh yeah, thing. he does he does. But he also like shows the crew movies like before, during, and after production. Oh, that's fine. Classics. And the closest I ever got to Quentin really getting like legit angry with me <laughs> was we were watching The Great Escape, and I'd never seen it. And I didn't know it was like one of his absolute favorite movies. And I'm watching all the guys in the prison in the scenes, like it's McQueen and stuff. And and they're like kind of coming and going in the camp with their packs and their backpacks. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, there's no way that like these Nazis are going to like let these guys have all this contraband everywhere. Like you can escape. Like this is like preposterous. Like you use a weapon or something. And I said that. And Quentin really got mad at me. No way! Yeah, because it was like, he could sense that it was like, kind of a, sl- a little shade on the film. And he's like, he loves the movie so much that I was like, I, and then I like could tell and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> gonna just keep my little snarky snarky stuff that, to is myself that, is that the one with the motorcycle jump yeah 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 I mean, which on, i know? think is that they they <laughs> even reimagine it in the cut 
of Once Upon a Time when they re-released it with like a few extra additional minutes of footage. With Tarantino's dialogue, right? That's something that's so iconic to his world. It's become a brand of his, really. He's yeah. famous for his dialogue. Did you notice when you did have it, is he very protective about the exact way things are read or, or carried out? In it was weird. Had? Like, he wasn't as much on this film as I think maybe he has been in the past. And I'll give you a very kind of classic example of this. I have a day where we are at El Coyote. It's yes. a shooting day. And it's like one eighth of a page of script on the schedule. So I'm like, oh, you know, it's like uh, no acting required day. I'm like, okay, I'll just kind of show up. So I go there. I sit down and Quentin's like, Emil, come, come to the side with me. He goes, and so what I want you to do today is I want you to listen to me tell this story right now and then repeat it back to me in the take. Just, just, just in your own kind of words, you know, just repeat it back. And he proceeds to tell me a three minute story about how Jay Sebring would cut hair for movie stars like Steve McQueen, how he had kind of gotten his way into that world and how he charged getting, he never cut hair and traveled on the same day. Okay. So it was like, he, he like got like thousands of dollars and it just for partying and cutting his best friend's hair. Yes. But the, Quinn, the Quinn, first line of that yeah. is in the, in the movie. Yeah. yeah. So, but that, the extended version of that is a three minute story of wow. me telling that. Wow. And it wasn't a thing where it was like, Quentin did a take. He's like, move on. Like we spent the day perfecting this monologue that he wrote for me verbally. Like, it was crazy. I've never done that before. And he was literally right to my left as I did it. And I would just do it. And he'd be like, okay, I like to take there. So twist a little bit around like that. Make sure you hit that one point, you know. And it was super specific. And I was like, wow. It's like, I thought I was showing up to work today and like not doing anything. (laughs) And it ended up being like, like my brain was like all the cylinders were firing. You know what I mean? I left and I was like, well, I I guess I kind of got the like Tarantino monologue experience of what that would be like. So much easier with him just telling the story. Yeah. Beat it back. Oh my wow. god! Yeah, if it, I'm, I'm, I'm like my fingers are crossed. If there's like a four hour extended cut, this, he's just like put the whole story in, right? Yeah, I want to, I want to hear the whole story. story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, yeah. right? There's a fleeting scene of you actually doing like kung fu with Mike Mo. Yeah, Bruce Lee. Did you have to learn? Oh yeah, all yeah. that. Yeah, they, I, I looked at that. I was like, that must have been like hours of rehearsal. Oh yeah, for that. Stunties took us in, and like they just, yeah, they they're so good, and Mike is so talented. He was so good as Bruce Lee. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. 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 He's so good. And I'm like a Bruce Lee fanatic. So nice. I want to talk a little bit about your first experience with the horror genre. I think my first experience with the horror genre would sort of be Killer Joe in terms of acting or yeah. watching stuff. I think like because it's Friedkin, he just has that. William Friedkin directed it, who, you know, he directed Exorcist. Yeah, he's dark, like this, dark, dark movie, man. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, and, and he has this kind of supernatural dark charisma to him. Yeah. He's got this unbelievable memory, so he's just spitting out these crazy stories all the time. And a lot of them are about the Exorcist. And he's kind of a superstitious guy. Like, he'll sometimes talk about how he went and saw the Shroud of Turin, and, you know, he kind of, like, wears these, like, pendants and crosses, and I mean, he's, he's like, he's a, into it. Yeah. Wow. He's, he's like, he's in, which almost makes the movie even scarier. Sure. Yeah. Where you're like, dude, this, 
that this movie converted this guy. Like he fully, and if you fully, I mean, it's like, it's kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and working with him, it just, he had this kind of dark, kind of amazing charisma. Uh, the way he went about it, it was like one take per scene. You know, it was like two takes at the most. Wow. Yeah, he just loved first takes. So you just had to have your lines just like hammered into your brain. That movie, you know, there's there's a dark kind of undercurrents to that film. And then I would say, you know, really the autopsy of Jane Doe, yeah. Andre Overdahl's movie. Yeah. Um, and which is interesting because Andre's other film, Troll Hunters, was not really a horror movie at all. If anything, it's kind of like a Peter Jackson-esque Spielberg-y kind of um, found footage movie. And so I was kind of curious that he really wanted to do this script, which was very scary by Richard Nang and Ian Goldberg to the point where I couldn't even rehearse it at home alone. Wow. Oh, geez. Yeah. Like I'd be, I'd like kind of start to read it at home and at night. And then I'd kind of like start like looking around and like hearing like, <laughs> notice, <laughs> notice the wind blowing. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to chill on that. <laughs> Let me just do this tomorrow morning. At that point, did you know that uh, Brian Cox would be casted? Obviously, uh, yeah, yeah. Cox was for, I mean, he was in, I love Cox so much. That is amazing. It's funny. because So for my 30th birthday, I was like, I'm going to do some research for Jane Doe. I'm like, do you guys know of any like real like morgues? And then writers were like, yeah, we got this contact at this guy, this guy named Craig Harvey at the LA downtown morgue. So we're going to oh, schedule boy. an appointment. I don't think I'd ever seen like a dead body before. <sighs> so I go and I have to, I meet, I meet this guy, super nice, kind of a big dude, mustache, kind of has like a kind of retired cop vibe, but he's cool, you know? And uh, you kind of sign your life away and then you go downstairs and it's like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bodies in this massive like air conditioned place and all the bodies are wrapped in clear plastic so you can like see through the bodies inside it's not like a bunch of bags you can't see what's yeah. in. it's like clear plastic wraps and then there's like this other room where the doors open and there's five tables and on each table was like the most graphic autopsy being performed at like kind of fast pace like it's not like you know like craig harvey said he's like you know we can use a lot more blunt instruments than if they're alive because you know we're not really worried about yeah yeah i mean i saw a guy perform an autopsy on a woman in like like five minutes i mean it was Whoa. like it was like <clears throat> like an assembly line it's like it a bunch was, of them on I mean, stations yeah like, kind of it's horrifying i mean it's wow. really yeah, yeah. That movie's God. Stephen King's a fan of that movie. Yeah, it's rated it's, on Netflix yeah. and one of the ten scariest movies yeah. on Netflix. Yeah, that's it's, in my top five of all time. Yeah, Game no, definitely. Right? Yeah, it's that's wild. Amazing. I mean, uh, we had a great time shooting it. I love working with Brian Cox, and there was definitely like you know, it's it was a disturbing script, and Andre was so committed to making the film great. Like he was so dedicated to the point where like you could see the stress like in his face. <laughs> I remember at one point I was like, Hey, Andre, you want to go see a movie this weekend? And he's like, No, I cannot. I'm shooting. This movie is doing to shoot is too important. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and he's like, after this movie comes out, it will be my last name forever. <laughs> and I was like, a little dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty long last name, too, buddy. Andre, the autopsy of Jane Doe. 
<laughs> well, one of the great things about your character that you play, Austin, in, in that movie, the audience has really brought along the ride with him, and he makes a great conduit because he's experiencing. He's he's the student in the process, yeah. and then you have this really like intimate setting, and it's very claustrophobic. I think those are all parts of the ways that that makes it so effective. Now, for you to make it effective, didn't they do some? What was the story that was it one continuous set or did you film it all in chronological it was order? Relatively chronological. Okay. But yeah, I mean the doll was amazing. The actress who would lay there was oh, oh, so, Owen, uh, Owen Kelly. Yeah, yeah, Owen, she was so dedicated. I mean, she would like she wouldn't even say hi to us. She wouldn't even look at us. She wouldn't even say hi to us. Well, how often wow. was there a live, you know, an actress? A lot. There compared I mean, a, to a lot. It was wow. really hard. Yeah. I mean, it was like laying there for that long. It's like you get, that was really hard for her. Sure. Yeah, like, she had to like, hold, hold her breath mentally. Like no. it's, that's, that's really something. It's funny. This guy came up to me the other day. It was like this kind of Academy parasite kind of party <laughs> where we're like all like kind of stoked on parasite. And this guy, Kyle, I think he works for like movies at the New York times or something. He's like, Hey man, I just wanted to say, I just saw the autopsy of Jane Doe. I'm a really big fan. And I like immediately went into like, how I went to the morgue and was like describing seeing the brain. And I'm like, and then they just pulled the head off and pulled the brain out and snapped the brain stem. And it was just like, I couldn't sleep. And like, he like left. He's like, okay, man. And he like, he just like left so shell shocked where he's like, kind of regret telling that guy. I like that movie. It was, it was kind of funny. Yeah. It was like face was slowly dropping as the story went on. I know there was a medical examiner on set, right? Yeah. What was like the craziest story that he told you about being that as his profession? I can imagine people die of he, some crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, it definitely like gets in your head. Like he was telling me about a guy who was, I guess, trimming his hedges with an electric saw, and his hedge trimmer hit a barb of wire on a barbed wire fence that was hidden, but and he wasn't wearing a neck protector, and the barb just went right wow. into his like <laughs> neck, and he just. Oh man! Wow, that was it. That just did it. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. Yeah. Note to all edge <laughs> <laughs> uh, trimmers, gardeners, anyone out there. <laughs> protection. <laughs> there is one scene that was particularly impactful for me watching it. There was the elevator scene where mm. you're talking about the passing of your mother. Mm-mm-mm. Do you remember anything in particular about filming that scene that it was a super emotional, pivotal scene between you and Brian? What was interesting is like so many things took so long at times on that shoot. And that scene we shot like at the end of the day and we had like no time. So it was like one of the few times where we just we just shot it like in just a few takes. And it was like, all right, we got it. I think it was just Brian and I just kind of just keying into each other and just being like, all right, let's do this. I'm so happy that Brian has gone on to like just kind of be this like succession and all these awards and it's great because he's been he's been so dope for so long and kind of seeing him get this big moment now is really cool for me. Also, you did a really fucking cool Western. Yeah, Never Grow Old. Yeah. Yeah. What was cool about that too is it 
like for horror fans who are listening, it has a very gothic look. Yeah. Well, Ivan Kavanaugh had directed that horror movie, The Canal. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Right, and directed right. it. And I'm actually on Wednesday of next week. I'm going to go shoot another movie of his called Sun. No way. With Andy Matichak, who's Jamie Lee Curtis's daughter in the new Halloween that's right. yeah. uh, movies. And it's another horror movie. And he's he's super talented. I mean, he just has he has a kind of a a talent for for the genre i think yeah you know? and i really enjoyed working with him wow. yeah i, I check i mean uh never grow old is a good film it's like i think it's like one of my third highest rated films or something if you go to like oh wow rotten tomatoes sure sure brilliant performance yeah. you and john cusack yeah it's yep. it's seriously it's the awesome. best thing cusack did in, in like at least since that uh what was it the beach boys movie he did Love and Mercy, yeah, yeah, which was great. We just recently watched Freaks. That thing was awesome. Was that an actual house? The production yeah. design is sick. On yeah, that it was movie. like a crazy house, and yeah, they did a really good job. I mean, the script was really good, and we made it on a shoestring budget. And my, I tip my hat to those directors, Adam and uh, Stein and Zach Lepofsky, for kind of pulling it off on like very little money. I mean, I think. Zach has a visual effects background and he ended up literally rendering like half of the effects himself on his laptop. Oh my God. Yeah. And the effects look really cool, especially like, you know, some of the, yeah, I mean, not to spoil anything, but there are some, there's some visual effects, visual effects. And then you did a Timur Bekmama. I I always have a hard time. Oh yes. Timur Bekmambatov film out in Russia, the darkest hour. Tamir is the guy who did the Nightwatch movies. And, yeah, well, he know. kind of executive produced it. That was Chris Gorak's movie. That movie is kind of like a has like a strange sort of following where it's like the we shot at the most famous landmarks in Moscow. Like we shut down Red Square for like four days or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like unbelievable. But I had a lot of fun in in in, uh, in Russia. And Chris is a Gorak is just a great guy. His movie Right at Your Door is like that's a dope movie. Wow. Yeah, right at your door. A lot of genre fans talk about this movie. Speed Racer. Yeah. That's a movie that has really found a second life. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because there's so much love for it now. And to me, it sort of is getting the kind of cool cachet that the cartoon had before sure. they made the movie. Yeah, right. You yeah. know, it was kind of considered, it was like, oh yeah, Kurt Cobain had like stickers of Chim Chim on his electric guitar. <laughs> like there was a certain coolness to the cartoon it wasn't just another it wasn't like scooby-doo it was like there was something cool about it yeah racer rex and it was all right yeah i think like the movie i think because it was it bombed as big as it did in a way i feel like people kind of i don't know if they gave it a second look or if they just reevaluated it or I, I don't know i mean it's it really was an original movie that Wachowski's made so yeah, it was i mean i think it was ahead of its time yeah that's the they're real genius so yeah Visually, too, and the way that they incorporated the elements and the whole kind of CG world around it. I mean, they were, it was definitely one of the first kind of cutting edge movies in that way. I just like the message of the film of like art triumphing. <laughs> yeah. And like a lot of heart mixing art and athleticism and, you know, the, the will to greatness in art and in athleticism. I thought it was cool. What was it like being a part of that world building 
when there was so much CGI and things like that to be added later, but still capturing that essence of the film as an actor, was that was that a huge challenge to be able to pull that off? It was a little bit discombobulating. Yeah. Yeah, because it's all green screen and you're really just kind of using your imagination to try to get there. Yeah. So at times that could be frustrating, especially the scenes in the gimbal, right. which is the mechanical device that simulates the car that kind of moves around. That thing was kind of scary because every now and then it would like malfunction and just like spin you around at like five G's or you know what I mean? You're like, like, (laughs) and then it would be like some German tech being like, Sally, you know, (laughs) it's like, uh, it's like, it's crazy. Cause like that machine is strong enough toward like, it could go like, like hard enough to the right and like break your neck, like with that force, like the power of the gimbal is it has that kind of power. So there's all these like safety protocol mechanisms they have to do on the gimbal to like make sure it doesn't wig. (laughs) Oh my God. That's That's crazy. Have you kept any of the props or costumes from any of your films? I have uh, the black shirt from the autopsy of Jane Doe that he wore. The That's like black sweet. and awesome. checkered over shirt. Yeah. I don't keep that much stuff though. I'm actually like more of a purger than a hoarder. Okay. Poor hoarders here. <laughs> yeah. yeah in case you haven't noticed. You got the chance to do something very different as well as very meaningful, becoming a part of Guillermo del Toro's Emmy Award winning Troll Hunter series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you going to continue on with the, I guess it's Wizards, the next yeah, world yeah, of this? There's a, there's a whole movie that they're making now that oh, I'm, that I'm awesome. still recording on. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's it's very great. cool. Guillermo's really excited about it and I'm honored to be a part of it. Oh, that's cool. Man. His vision is like amazing and he's just a great guy on top of being i mean like going through his notebooks are amazing oh my god notebooks are just like damn does he let you go through and leave no no they're they're printed like coffee table books oh no oh oh, yeah 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 oh the ones you can get at like yeah yeah, barnes and nobles and stuff yeah yeah we actually have those yeah hey guillermo can i go through your right exactly i was like it's like give me a look at this kid it's all in spanish you won't understand it fucking word so we'll 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 talk music we'll move over to music so this new album mnemonic is not the first music you've put out correct what role has music played in your life so from the beginning i've always been super like a music fan like most people alive i guess and uh, i used to be really into like freestyling and hip-hop and all this stuff in junior high and nirvana and the beatles and i was i was steeped in a lot of it and I would constantly be writing these kind of hip hop and rap songs and, you know, when I should be working in class, you know, in yeah, school and yeah. stuff. But I would spend countless hours doing this all the time. Then I kind of, you know, I sort of moved away from it after high school. And then I did this movie called All Nighter. Yeah. With J.K. Simmons, where I play a bluegrass singer. And they got a, they got real musicians Chris Lewin and Brian Cohen to like play my bandmates. So we had to do one cover of night moves and we recorded it and uh, I played it for one of my friends and he was like, why don't you make some originals? So I mentioned it to Chris and Brian and they liked the idea and they're very, very talented dudes. So we kind of just made a bunch of different songs with the hope of maybe one of them would be in the movie or something. And it was a great learning experience for me. None of them ended up actually being in the movie, <laughs> oh, no. but it was like, we had a great time doing it. Yeah, exactly. And right. it kind of awakened for me. I love songwriting. So in the years, that was five years ago. So in the years, in the subsequent years, I kept kind of songwriting. 
And what did your songwriting look like? Were you on guitar, piano, or just lyrically? It literally was me writing the melody and the lyrics like acapella by myself oh, wow. at my at a table wow. or like banging it out and working which is like it's hard to do but that was all i could do and i did this for like like two years to the point where i had all this material and i was like i gotta do something with it and then chris and brian they had other projects they were doing and so i started to reach out to just anyone that did music that i knew being like hey like are you interested in trying this? And I talked to a bunch of different guys and sort of played around with a bunch of different guys. And Matthew, I had actually already known for years through my buddy Matt Smiley and his girlfriend, Justine Watchburger. So he had made a song in Valerian, the end song, A Million on My Soul, which I freaking loved. And I told Matt how much I loved it. And then Matthew was like, well, maybe we should try a song. And I was kind of resistant at first just because I sort of was literally trying to make songs with like three other producers at the time. And <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of hadn't I hadn't really found where, what I felt I was looking for. And then Matthew was kind of he kind of cornered me at Thanksgiving. It was like, let's do this. And then we started to work together and we kind of had a very kind of simpatico kind of drive to do things in very similar tastes. And we just ended up just going for like a year straight. And it was like, you know, we match, you made everything on the computer uh, with, we had some live instrumentation, but I mean, we really, it's really like a synth record in a lot of ways, you know, and we, we, we loved so many just that vibe you know it's like a lot of the songs people sometimes compared to like the drive soundtrack yeah like Kavinsky and so awesome yeah it's it's so great thank you yeah (laughs) yeah yeah the midnight gunship like all that cool stuff it it sounds yeah that sounds like Nicholas Redfin's movies look you know (laughs) (laughs) I mean there was that and also like we uh we wanted to like do something that you could listen to after listening to the Fight Club. Sure, sure. Yeah, like the Dust Brothers, like all that. That was like, we were like, if we can do something that's one person as good, it's going to be great. When you were sharing your lyrical and melodic ideas, because obviously you were singing these songs that you've written, these hooks, basically, right? Yeah. Did you know like the genre that you wanted to... What was interesting is from all the song, from the backlog of songs... Those were songs that I had written on my own that I think brought me to the place where I was ready to work with Matthew in a way. Gotcha. So we created all new songs. Wow. Yeah. So we 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 wrote together and made everything else on the album. Oh Other my than God. I think the only song that there was a version of was Nervous Wreck. Okay. And that was the first one that we did together. And we ended up kind of completely redoing it and restructuring it later on anyway. So we really did like when we're writing all the songs, like we'll have ideas. It's really like a give and take, which is, it's just like ping ponging back and forth, but it's cool because it's to the point where even when we're on the computer, when Matt's on the computer, you know, it's like, there's a lot of, I feel like I know a lot of musicians and recording artists that are people that probably go in and are like, and then they're like, peace. And they like leave. Right. And they go to some fucking party and there's like a producer sitting there for, you know, 48 hours. Piecing it all together. But what was cool about the way that we worked is like, we both were similarly really obsessive in that, like 
the the kind of detail that makes a song like we both were equally interested in doing so like we were there we were really together together yeah, yeah. oh my god For all the like little things that performers would not normally stay for yeah some of these synths are like very 80s like inspired who are some of the artists that inspired you guys to to record this kind of uh you know synth sounds I mean, there's a, a clear uh, Depeche Mode yeah. influence. We love Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode. I'm talking about like the early uh, Speaking Spell days or like, like Bowie. Love Bowie. Yeah. Beck. Yeah, I love Beck oh, he's too. Great. You he's know, great. I love Red Hot Chili Peppers. I love Nirvana. I love the Beatles. I love the Doors. I love Alanis Morissette. I love Tracy Chapman. I love Adele. So I know Billie Eilish records with her brother in their childhood home and I know you guys were recording in a home. What is the advantage of recording not in a professional studio, do you think? You have a very, you can access the fridge. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we I mean, bring my dog Stella and she's like chilling. And it's kind of like, it's amazing that we made the record the way we did. Because like even we were like, even like Matt's laptop, like we had overloaded it with so much ram there's like there's certain songs to where we had layered it with so many layers like we had to like think of ways to delete memory because the song like would not like, play <laughs> for, like play. one second <laughs> keep bouncing tracks left and right yeah exactly like, we're, we're gonna do a kickstarter to but having that stu- you know having access i guess just to technology the way it is to record an album now to be able to create at the speed of thought must be yeah a major well, advantage and and i think because uh, Mathieu, you know, he used to be the the editor of uh, Premier Magazine France. Oh, so he has, wow. you know, he's got he's got that movie foundation yeah. background, and he's a big movie fan like me. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so because we have we have that shared background, I feel like some of the songs there's like a certain cinematic for sure for sure it that you know. When you guys come up with ideas and are building songs, do you reference different cinematic worlds in order to make the music with that being a common language? Is that like, is that a language you feel more comfortable to say, I want it to feel like this I, movie I or more Kubrick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go full. Back. I, I need more Kubrick on that track. Yeah. I know, yeah. There's some long takes there, man. <laughs> I know. I, I definitely like can get into like corny territory for what I said. Like, I want the end to just feel like this organ orgasmic explosion of like a supernova and then Matt will look at me and be like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> well, I love there is a nostalgic feel to it and I don't mean that in the sense that it sounds retro necessarily, which I mean it does with the analog sense and everything, but it also sounds nostalgic in the sense that there's a warmth and familiarity with the lyrics yeah. and melodies. They mm-hmm. feel they feel like home when you listen to it. Is there an overall journey that you wanted to take the listener in, in particular with this music? I think that when we started, we both felt like we needed to make a record. We felt like we had, we felt like a desire that we both had something more to give. And as we were making the songs, I feel like there was a certain kind of positivity that we that kind of came out of us where you know it's like songs like love is real Mm -hmm. you know that are kind of very uncynical expressions of positivity 
that we were we, we that we really felt like when we made them and we were ecstatic to kind of share and i think that there was kind of a i don't know i, I don't want to say like message of love because that sort of can sound corny but you know sometimes going through the front door works and i think that we we kind of wore our heart on our sleeve for certain songs and there was i think there was a certain kind of um mystical mystical quality to certain things certainly like lost highway you know there's a there's this idea of kind of being adrift in this chaotic kind of unknowable cosmos and and kind of having someone else to be there in the unknown with i think that that was there was just certain things and and certainly we we definitely reminisced a lot on our own lives and you know that's like the year 2000 you know what i mean like kind of formative events that we all kind of share and i love that song yeah that's my personal favorite <laughs> yeah. i think on the album oh yeah. thank you yeah <laughs> me too it's uh <laughs> yeah it's very that melody is so triumphant and it's got some of that i know we were talking earlier that falsetto that oh man you killed it it was yeah. so great oh, thank you and and it's cool because like with with Matt and I like we we won't just like write a melody and then settle, you right. know? Like there are times where we will just re-record stuff over and over and over. And it's funny because we we're talking about like filmmakers earlier like referencing yeah. when making songs. Matt would be like very much the David Fincher of <laughs> of like in the sense of like we'll do vocal takes and like we will do like 100 <laughs> like it's i don't like 99 like to go like 100 oh yeah always no he's That's the one yeah no matthew is he's he's definitely the most meticulous dude that i've like worked with to be honest and that's in movies as well like yeah he's he's definitely the most methodical and meticulous dude but i really enjoy that and so it's like i'm the perfect counterpart to that because like i'm the guy that gets excited sitting there for nine hours when yeah. we're like adjusting like different levels of filters and things like that i'm like oh gee whiz <laughs> <laughs> look at that echo boy <laughs> plug in I it's mean, amazing we, we, we might have spent like a two hours on just finding the right like crash symbol you know like, wow yeah yeah it happens yeah no happens. it like legit like we'll sit there and we'll go through a thousand samples and you really realize when you dive into that level of detail that they there's such a difference between oh, yeah. every little teeny tiny thing it's funny because the album has gotten really overwhelmingly positive responses that we're so humbled and grateful by. I mean, we put this thing out. We we made it for like basically zero dollars. Yeah. And we don't have a label or anything like that. Like Spotify put it on like put two of our tracks on their like biggest playlist, the new alt playlist. Nice. It's like it's like they're for that genre, it's like where where you want to be. I mean they put Tooth Fairy and Angel's Will on that. Oh, nice. that's so cool. Angel, Tooth Fairy is a yeah. great Angel's track. Will is still on the new alt playlist wow. right now. Wow. Yeah, nice. and like we had like this amazing woman, Allison, Ali Hagendorf over at Spotify. She's oh, like yeah. commenting on our page like this, this album is dope. You know what I mean? And so to have Matt and I like really give everything we had to give because like we literally put everything on the table here and to have um people kind of respond to that 
is just it's so much better than having everybody hate it and make fun of it you know <laughs> it's so many of course because yeah. like because like here's the thing like actor music everyone actor knows music. everyone knows like, like a genre we and like i'm a huge fan of the genre matt yeah. like we, we both, I, I used to collect uh I had like all the Jennifer Love Hewitt albums. Oh uh, yeah, I remember those. Lindsay Lohan albums. Uh, yeah, Darkstar. Yeah, I mean like on the bass. We both were like these weird like actor music like collector kind of types. But like making it, I don't know. All my self consciousness though about like you know you're putting your art out there on the line for everyone to listen to. Like all of that had been so quashed by putting out the first record I did with Chris and sure, Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because it's like there was, and I had so much apprehension, and there was so much like fear of like putting your sound out there. And then I put it out there, and I was like, man, I'm. But, Kind of the same, feel the same I did 10 minutes sure, ago. Yeah. So on this one, we went like full in and I had like, there was no, there was no apprehension at any time. And, and in a way that other record, uh, simple things for our made up band name, hysterical kindness, it was a big, uh, learning experience and I'm super grateful to, to Chris, Chris Sloan and Brian Cohen for that. That's also a great album. Very, very different sound. Very like organic based. Yeah. Well, that yeah. was, that was different because that was literally me writing melodies, acapella going in, playing them to just a piano with nothing. And then Chris and Brian would go and put, write all the music for it. They, yeah. They would do all the music. I wasn't involved in any of the, the music part in that way. Right. So right. it's, it's, it's very different going forward. Is there any plans for you guys to bring this music live to the stage, perhaps a festival or something? I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I mean, I feel like right now we enjoy making it so yeah. much. Like this week we're we making like three songs. Yeah, we're just wow. going wow. non. And well, when you have the the juice, you know, the inspiration, like you know, you kind of want to write it, you know, until yeah. until you're like ah, completely empty, and you're like, yeah, maybe maybe let's do a show. I mean, I'd um, definitely be kind of curious because it'll either be like I get up there and it's like, oh my god, he's a natural singing performer. <laughs> he's god darn great. <laughs> or it's gonna be like, man, that match you is one good motherfucker at auto tune. <laughs> like it's gonna be like one of those two things. Um, but there's also the challenge that you know now that you're recording. You, you have to think about it. You're like, well, how do we pull this part off live? Yeah. I could sing. You could have, you, with that stuff, you have tracks, of right? Course, yeah. Course. Walk out with sunglasses, a lot of neon, smoke. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it'd be fun, you know? I yeah. like the idea of, like, being, like, up on a stage above the audience so people won't see that I'm, like, 5'6". <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, man, that singer is, like, oh, dude, he's pretty tall. <laughs> I don't know if it's just because he's on that 10-foot platform. <laughs> So, Matt, too, I wanted to ask you a little bit yeah. about the production on this album because it is it is a, a shining star. It's yeah. a standout. You could hear the work that goes into this. There's a couple drum loops that I am digging hardcore. We Can't Rock and the West Kids and Mnemonic, yeah. of course. There's a lot of production mm -hmm. on Mnemonic. The last track, the vocoder and all this crazy no. stuff. So yeah. is, how much of that stuff is like in the box? Plug-in I mean, uh, samples, libraries, and stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, uh, it's never just, like, one breakbeat that right. we use. There's always, like, three stacked, chopped, oh, and, uh, wow. you know, with, like, filters, and uh, and it just sounds like one, you know? But it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a lot of work. It's, like, hours and hours just to create, just not to use something that people ever really has access to. Yeah. Like a known breakbeat, like, you just kind of create your own by adding, like, merging all those sources together. What's your background in, you know, learning how to do all that? 
I mean, when I was like 15 years old, my dad bought me like a, a four-track tape recorder. Oh, nice. And it, that was, I didn't have a sampler or anything. I would just like record like, like bits and pieces from song, like playing my Discman, you know, and just recording stuff and like really like self-taught, I guess. Nice. And, and it's like the, you know, when you don't have anything fancy at your disposal, you have to become creative. And that's what happened with this record. It's exactly the same. You know, we don't, we didn't have a lot of crazy budget. We didn't go to fancy studios. Like it's all homemade. And I think it's better for it because mm -hmm. we, we have to be way more inventive. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Innovation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the synth line that Matt came up with for Lost Highway for the second half, like, I mean, there's someone's going to have to sample that for like a sci-fi, like ending yeah, movie, yeah, yeah, like yeah. hover speeder at night through <laughs> Megapolis right. tunnel, you know, 360 twirl barrel roll scene or something <laughs> like that scene on the highway at night. Like you better watch your speedometer because <laughs> you're going to get pulled over. <laughs> so January 10th, you guys released another single American dream. Mm hmm making you like i think officially more prolific than joy division already i think <laughs> like how important how important is is this for you to move that like continually move this project forward in those ways by keeping it progressing you know just putting out a song when you got a new song i feel like it is super necessary for us right now because we we are loving making the songs and so we want to just keep putting them out and it's it's really that simple and that we like if we didn't really want to do it there there'd be no reason to do it because it's not like you know the way we don't have live shows planned or anything like that and the way that the internet and streaming services works is like there's not there's no money in it unless you do like a hundred gajillion streams yeah. or something like that yeah. for us it's really about we really love making the songs and there was that one moment right when we wrapped up the record where it's like all right well we're done with this yeah all right well i guess i'll I guess i'll see you later <laughs> yeah i'll see you later like two days later i'm like hey i got some ideas <laughs> you know what i mean like we've i'm like we are we are, dude we are we are banging like so hard right now nice. we have like eight songs that we are working on what and the nice. first album is 15 tracks yeah exactly so, like I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm. I'm kind of taking off the market a little bit because on Wednesday I have to go. I'm going to shoot a film for like five weeks. But like, he's got a studio. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's going to be here, man, making beats no, and stuff. Right. No, we, we. We. I mean, we're. You know, I think that the way that albums are released these days, I think the thinking would be, you know, you just you can put one song out at a time so that people can kind of listen to it and marinate on it, and then eventually you can just group all of those into an album. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's not like people are buying the record or anything like that the album in a way kind of becomes a categorization technique right. so that on your you know apple profile spotify profile you don't have like a thousand singles on your page and it just looks like a messy desktop yeah yeah exactly you know I mean? exactly <laughs> it's, it's like just the album is just like the folder you can put all the shit in right right now yeah. is that an important part i was going to ask you about that like artwork i mean you've 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 done visual art before painting yeah. and things like that is that an important part did you grow up looking at albums and loving that part of the music Absolutely. experience. I mean, I remember Green Day Dookie album just oh, yeah. staring at it just for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, the Iconics, um, never mind album cover, you know, the, yeah. the dollar bill and the Baby. naked bit. I mean, yeah. it's, it's so good. And 
the aesthetic that Matt, because can Matt did all the visual artwork uh, for for the record, all oh, the single nice. artwork and the um and the cover, the album artwork. It's a cheap build that way. Yeah, it's great. It looks so good, it's awesome, but it's man. really part of that world world building yeah, of what yeah. you guys are doing. Yeah, right? Exactly. Is well, there we, any merch? We don't have any merch. You need to have merch because yeah. I need that on a show. Yeah, you yeah. gotta have it. Yeah, you gotta yeah. have the logo. Killer. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, it's 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 interesting because it's like we're we're super frugal, but then like Matt is particular enough to where on the year 2000 he found this one backdrop of like a desert that was pictured that he just. He's like, I've gone through all the other pictures. This is the only one. Like, so we literally like contacted this dude and yeah, like we tracked the we, photographer yeah, we, like, oh, wow. on the internet. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's cool. And I like, and it's I still like follow the guy on like Instagram now. Pluto nine one one. Yeah, he's, he's Rob, good. Rob, nice. Rob Doyle, amazing yeah. photographer. He's oh, really cool. good. Yeah, he's really good. It kind of reminds me of a. I went to the Joker premiere. Yeah, and uh, the next day I, t- I took a few pictures on the red carpet. The next day, I'm like looking at some pictures and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to pat myself on the back here, but this picture of me is way better than all these others I've seen lately. (laughs) So I look up the picture. It was a guy that had been on the sidewalk. No. He was a nature photographer. He shoots birds. He had a 700 millimeter lens. His name David Leamy. So, so he literally wasn't he supposed like, to be he's there. Like, he's like, hi, I was, I was so cool. My Hollywood trip, and uh, you know, just walking down. It was a Joker premiere, and but like the way the like it's it was so it was so the perfect photo that we tracked it down. And I looked at the guy's Instagram profile. It's like beavers and like amazing shots of hummingbird. Like he's really good. <laughs> And uh, and he ended up letting me license it and like change the IMDb picture I had. It's like, <laughs> crazy, but that, I like, like love the unlicensed story. paparazzi <laughs> no, photo. It's like a, basically, it's literally, it's like the fans across the street on yeah. Hollywood at the Man's Chinese. Yeah, but it's like just the dude with the seven hundred millimeters. Like that's an I've all show you. You know what I mean? Like, oh, your pesky Hollywood lens, huh? Clearly, yeah. you've never been to Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> so that's okay so the musical plan going forward is just to keep an eye on your social media accounts and everything and music is is probably just going to magically start appearing yeah. more music is just going to start coming yeah. out I mean, if, you know, if you follow us on spotify or apple music and all that like you might have a, a nice surprise every uh, two or three weeks yeah wow yeah we're going for it yeah. that's oh. awesome and what's the is there a instagram account Associated with Hirsch yet with no, the band no, proper? No, just yours. Yeah, just your just Emil Hirsch. Yeah, yeah if, if you're a fan of the music, you'll have to stomach the occasional like dog pick. <laughs> not with a good Aww. dog mixed in, you know. No, I love a good dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love dogs. They're so cute. They are. They really are. I just wanted to ask you guys both what your favorite horror movies are. You have like a top three or five. I top mean, three or five. Either <laughs> I'm, you know, top fifteen. <laughs> I would be, I would be super remiss if I don't say The Exorcist for Billy. I saw that film in Hollywood at the Man Village when they like was like I, I don't know what year reissue it is. Maybe it was twenty five year. Maybe it's 35 year. I don't know. But it was... Oh, it was back in the late 90s. Absolutely horrifying. Yeah. Like crazy... I mean, I, it, it holds up. There is a darkness to that film that you can like legit feel like you're going insane watching it. You're like, oh, this thing is like possessed by the devil. 
You know what I mean? Like to convince a viewer of that, it's yeah. pretty, it's heavy. Have you well, ever followed any real exorcism cases? No, not really. No, I'm, I'm, I, I, I loved um, Baba Duke. Yeah, I that's a great Bob, one. Billy Friedkin was the one that turned me on to that. He, I, by the way, did you ever uh, talk to him about, he actually filmed an exorcism in Italy, he has a documentary out. Yeah, I don't. I haven't talked to him about that. No. Yeah, but that's it's so fascinating, man. He was allowed to just bring one camera at himself, no camera person, no assistant, nobody, and he sat there for hours and just taped the the whole thing. You know? Jeez. Wow. Is that before The Exorcist or? No, no, this, is, I, this is two years ago. How funny would it be oh, though if, if it's like if it's like someone's like you realize the person filming you is um. He directed the exorcism. You're like, <laughs> like if you're a demon, are you kind of stoked about that? If you're like, oh fuck yeah, that's the good shit, you know? When Susan's back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, oh man, I came up from hell. It's totally worth it. So the exorcist, Baba Duke. I mean, me, I get to mention uh, Jacob's Ladder. Oh yeah, yeah that's, that's great. Good, yeah, uh, Angel Heart. And uh, a Spanish movie, I don't know if like a lot of people have seen it, called The Nameless, from the guy who directed The uh, Wreck. So the that, Devil's that, Backbone, that, scary. Yeah. Orphanage is horrifying. I love Del Toro. Not just because I'm in his Cartoon <laughs> Network show, guys. I'm naming all of them. Whoa, anybody else that you like that you haven't worked with? <laughs> We won't take up any more of your time. We really yes. appreciate you visiting, and thank you so yes. much for making this amazing music, both yeah. Matthew and Emil. It's it's seriously it's a gift. Yep. And uh, again, we're looking forward to hearing more and more of this stuff, and of course, seeing you in many more movies because uh, yeah, you're fucking amazing. Dude. Thank you. We had yes. we had a great time today. Thanks for yeah, thanks thank for having you very us, much. You guys. Awesome, awesome, you guys. Yeah. yeah. That was the Buku Podcast, episode 105. Special thanks to our guests, Emil Hirsch and Matthew Karate. Follow them at Emil Hirsch and at Matt underscore Karat on Instagram and Twitter and get the debut album and new singles from Hirsch wherever you stream music. Music for this episode from Hirsch, production tracks from Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales From The Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales From The Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.